0: Discover the tips and strategies that will help you achieve your retirement goals. I'm your host, James Canole, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you retire well. It all starts right here on Ready for Retirement. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Ready for Retirement. I'm your host, James Canole. Today's episode is all about asset location and asset location is a great way to save money on taxes. But if you do it wrong, you may save a little bit in taxes in the short term, but it can cost you a whole lot of money over the long term. Today's episode is based on a listener question. And this listener question comes from Jeff. Jeff says, if one is fully diversified and has tax exempt, tax deferred and taxable investment accounts, some experts discuss the idea of optimizing asset location to minimize tax burden and increase returns. You have discussed this previously in podcast episode number 57 for starters. And on the surface, it makes sense to place assets that generate fully taxable income, i.e. bonds and CDs, in a tax-protected account, Roth being most ideal, and non-dividend-bearing stocks in a taxable investment account, thus avoiding taxes and allowing the principal to optimally grow. But why does it not make more sense to place the most aggressive investments in the Roth as those are the only ones that will likely grow the most, and all of this growth would be tax-free. Even though bond distributions slash gains are taxed at ordinary income rates, their growth would be much less. So despite the increased tax burden of having taxable bonds in a taxable account, it seems to make more sense to keep them out of the account that is completely tax-exempt and leave that account for the most aggressive investments. Would you please explain? Thank you. Well, thank you for that question, Jeff. Essentially what he is asking is he's saying, look, I get it with asset location. And in just a bit, I'm going to really break this down into fundamental core pieces. But he says, asset location says to do one thing, which maybe in a vacuum makes sense. But are you losing sight of the bigger picture by putting conservative investments into Roth accounts, which benefits you short term with the tax benefits, but it hurts you long term when that tax free account isn't growing quite as much? So, yes, Jeff, I'm absolutely going to break this down. I'm glad you asked this question. It is a good one. And before I do so, I want to highlight a recent review of the week. This comes from username A Texas Fan. Five star review says short, concise, and excellent. James Canole is providing a great service for those who want to better understand the complicated financial world of retirement. He is taking the time to educate us in a clear and understandable way that focuses on the real life questions we have and want answers to. I started my journey to understand retirement funding at age 62. And I listen to a lot of podcasts from different advisors. I can say without hesitation James is the best. Thank you. Well, thank you very much to username a Texas fan. That means a lot to me. If you have enjoyed this podcast or gotten a lot out of it, I would really appreciate a review from you as well. One of the goals of this podcast is to help as many people as possible create their own secure retirement. There's not enough education or information or places you can go to get good accurate relevant information. And I hope that this podcast becomes that place for a lot of people. So if you have friends or family or coworkers or anyone that you think could benefit from this, would really appreciate you sharing the word and would also really appreciate you leaving a review. So thank you for all of those of you that have done so. And now let's get back to the episode today. So as I said, Jeff makes a great point. And what he's saying is a great example of how being too focused on one strategy can end up costing you the long term if you don't understand the implications of that strategy and if you don't understand how it impacts the big picture. So let's back way up. Some people may be listening to this question saying, what on earth is asset location? How can it be good and bad? Let's break it down. Let's start with what is asset location? Well, asset location is maybe a confusing term because we've probably all heard the term asset allocation. Now, asset allocation comes down to how do you allocate your assets? In other words, how do you spread out or diversify your assets? Asset allocation is asking you, what's your breakdown between stocks or bonds or cash or real estate? What's your breakdown between different types of stocks? Are you in large companies or small companies, domestic or international? That's asset allocation. Essentially says what asset classes are you diversified into? Asset location is probably a very confusing term for most because it sounds just like asset allocation, but the difference is it's asking you, where are these investments actually held? What's the location in which you hold these assets? Not location in the sense of, oh, well, I hold this at TD Ameritrade and I hold this at Charles Schwab. Asset location in the sense of what investment account, what type of an investment account. So you might have a Roth account, which grows completely tax-free forever you might have a tax deferred account like a traditional IRA or 401k or 403b where that money grows tax deferred. So you're not paying taxes as it grows, but it's taxable on the way out. And then you might have a fully taxable account. This would just be an individual account or a joint account or a trust account, really just an account that doesn't have any of the tax benefits that retirement plans typically do. So asset location is essentially saying, once you know what asset classes you hold, which of those are held in your Roth accounts, which of those are held in your pre-tax accounts, which of those are held in your taxable accounts. Practically speaking, what it comes down to is asset allocation will determine the return you can expect to receive. The breakdown of how much you have in different types of stocks and different types of bonds, that is going to be the number one driving factor of the rate of return you can expect to receive over time. Asset location will determine how much of that return you will actually keep after taxes. So asset location isn't telling you to invest in different things. It's just saying, where are you holding these investments and doing it the right way can help you to keep more of that return after taxes. Why is that? Well, let's see what makes up your return as an investor. It's either interest, dividends, or capital gains, and they can all be taxed differently. Interest. So if you have a CD or if you have a bond, or if you have cash that's accruing interest at the bank, you are paying ordinary income rates on that interest. In 2022, federal tax brackets for ordinary income range between 10% and 37%. Dividends are taxed differently. It could be a non-qualified dividend, in which case it's taxed like interest is. So it's taxed at ordinary income rates, which again is 10% to 37%. Or it could be a qualified dividend, which is taxed at capital gains rates, long-term capital gains rates of 0% to 20% at the federal level. It might also be subject to net investment income taxes, depending upon your Adjusted gross income. And then finally, you have capital gains. And if it's a short term capital gain, it's taxed at ordinary income rates. So, again, those are the higher rates, the 10 to 37% at the federal level. And long term capital gains rates are taxed at, well, long term capital gains rates, zero to 20%. So, as you see this, let's look at a simple example to see how asset location is utilized. So, let's say your portfolio is split evenly, 50% in growth stocks and 50% in bonds. Now, this really is not an ideal allocation for most people, but let's just use this as an example because growth stocks on average aren't going to pay much in dividends. And let's just assume for the sake of this example that these growth stocks don't pay anything in dividends. Most of the growth that you can expect from them over time is coming from capital gains. And bonds, if held to maturity and not sold for a gain or loss before then, well, all the growth from bonds will come from interest. So let's say you have a traditional IRA and a brokerage account and your money is split evenly between them. Well, what if you put all the growth stocks into your brokerage account? Let's assume those growth stocks are up 10% in a year, but they're not paying any dividends. Well, if that's the case and you continue to hold those growth stocks and you don't sell, you're really not paying taxes on anything. There's no dividends or interest. So that growth is unrealized. The gains are unrealized. So your taxes that year are zero if you're holding long term. Now, let's say you have bonds in that same brokerage account. Well, let's assume these bonds pay a 4% interest rate. And if you're in a combined 30% tax bracket, say federal and state, well, you get a 4% interest rate on that bond. But after paying your taxes, because these are going to be taxed at a higher rate than long-term capital gains are, your real return is only 2.8%. That comes from taking the 4% interest that the bond is paying taking 30% of that in your marketing for taxes. And then the remaining 70% is yours as your real return before inflation. So 2.8% is the actual return, the actual after-tax return, if you hold that money in a brokerage account. So again, let's now assume we have half this money in a Roth IRA and half this money in a brokerage account. Well, the first order of thinking is, oh my gosh, let's be smart about this. Let's put the bonds in the Roth account Because what that means is we won't be taxed on any of that interest. So we'll grow tax free. Then what we can do is we can put the stocks in the brokerage account. And if we're smart about this and hold this for the long term, we're not actually paying taxes on an annual basis because we're letting those gains grow unrealized. So yes, we'll pay taxes in the future, but maybe at a lower rate once we're in retirement. So as I mentioned, that's kind of that first order thinking. What's the first thing you think of? Well, the first thing is how do we maximize the after tax returns this year? But some people stop there, unfortunately. And what they lose sight of is if they were to take a big step back, they would say, okay, we're saving a little bit of money on taxes this year by doing this, but what's it costing us long-term? We have a Roth IRA, which is going to grow tax-free forever. And when we look at a calculation, what would that Roth IRA have grown to had it been getting a return that growth stocks could get for it versus now getting a return that bonds will get for it? How much tax-free growth, how much tax-free principal, how much tax-free income are you leaving on the table in the future in order to save a few bucks per year on the tax side today? So this is what Jeff is referring to in his question. He's saying, look, I get it. People talk about asset location. They talk about putting the stuff that's not tax efficient into the accounts like the IRAs or Roth IRAs. But what does that do for the big picture planning? That's exactly right. A lot of times when people just look at that first order of thinking, They end up doing something that benefits them a little bit in the short term, but costs them a lot in the long term. So let's look at another example to illustrate this. We talked about the fact that Roth money is tax-free. And so people see this and say, oh, great. Let's put our bonds in our Roth IRAs because then we avoid taxes. Well, let's see how that turns out. Say they have $250,000 in a Roth IRA when they retire at 62. Well, let's fast forward 15 years. If we assume that account grew by 5% per year, because it was invested in bonds instead of growing at 10% per year, like it was invested in stocks, just using long-term historical averages here. Well, in that case, the Roth would have grown to $520,000 after 15 years, if it was all invested in bonds. So two fifty dollars to $520,000. Now, had that money instead been invested in stocks, instead of growing to only $520,000, it would have grown to over $1,050,000. So when you look at that, That's a difference of $525,000. Or in other words, that's 525,000 fewer tax-free dollars that you'd have in 15 years because of that strategy. Now, did asset location save you over $525,000 in cumulative taxes over that time? Almost certainly not. So why do we sacrifice $525,000 in tax-free money for a little bit of money, maybe a few hundred, maybe a few thousand, depending on what you're looking at per year on your tax bill? So I'm not saying asset allocation or asset location, see there, even I'm getting mixed up with the terms there. So I'm not saying asset location isn't worth it. It absolutely is. But you have to have an understanding of the big picture in order for it to be worth it. In other words, don't let the tail wag the dog. The goal is not to have the lowest possible taxes on your tax return this year. The goal is to have the best after-tax returns that you can possibly get over time. I'll ask you this question to put it another way. Would you rather have a 5% gain today that you pay no taxes on, or would you rather have a 12% gain that you pay 50% taxes on? Well, obviously we'd love to have the 12% gain and no taxes, but if given the choice, it would be foolish not to take the 12% gain with 50% taxes because the after-tax return is still 6%, which is still better than 5% gains without taxes. So too often people look for the thing that's going to help them pay the least in taxes. And yes, let's look for ways to save on taxes where possible. But if doing so requires accepting a lower overall after-tax return, we've essentially let the tail wag the dog. We've done the wrong thing, thinking it to be the right thing. So what should you do? If this seems like, oh my goodness, how do we understand the various pitfalls that could come from doing this wrong? There, there are certainly some, but let's try to simplify it. What should you do? Well, number one, before looking at asset location, start with asset allocation. Asset allocation has the ability to drive significantly more value, to increase your net worth significantly more than asset location can. Asset location is going to save you some bucks here and there, potentially a lot of bucks here and there, but never let asset location be the driving factor ahead of asset allocation. So number one, understand your overall asset allocation. What's the mix of different investments that you need to meet your unique set of goals. Then number two, understand your withdrawal strategy. What accounts will you be drawing down first? That's very important because asset location is telling you where should you hold these different types of investments. Well, if you're doing that in a vacuum without understanding that, yes, here's my big picture asset allocation, but I'm not going to draw evenly from each of these accounts each year, you need to understand which account are you going to draw from first And then you can set up your asset location. And that's going to be based upon two things. Number one, tax decisions. So this is what we talked about. This is where most people start and finish the conversation around asset location. But number two, withdrawal decisions, as I just mentioned. And here's why. If you look at asset location in a vacuum, it's going to say own a lot of stocks, primarily those ones that pay maybe less in dividends and focus mostly on capital gains, own those in your taxable account or in your brokerage account. Well, what if your withdrawal strategy has you drawing down your brokerage account first? What if you're retiring tomorrow and you have enough money in your brokerage account to get you through the next five years? Do you really want that portfolio to be all stocks? Yes, asset location says stocks are more tax efficient. Let's own stocks in the taxable accounts. But what it fails to account for is the time horizon of when you need these dollars, which is a very, very crucial thing that you want to be focusing on when you're determining how you're going to be invested. So if you're going to draw down a brokerage account first, then you probably need some bond or other short-term investments to support that if you're going to be drawn from that account soon. Otherwise, the account may be way too aggressive to have that be the first place you're going to take money from. So if asset location in a vacuum says put all the stocks in your brokerage account, asset location, we looked at more comprehensively, says absolutely consider the tax implications but don't neglect the withdrawal decisions. Don't neglect the time horizon that you have for when you need some of these funds. And it would be better to put some more funds in a conservative, maybe bond type investment there. And yes, you're gonna pay a bit more in taxes, but consider the alternative. What if all the money is in a stock account and you retire and you go through a horrible bear market? Well, that money is down 30, 40% and you're drawing it down. I promise you that's gonna cost you a whole lot more money in liquidated losses Then you would end up paying in taxes to have bonds or to have some type of tax inefficient fund owned in your brokerage account. So obviously, there's so many different ways you can look at this, and everyone's situation is so unique. But as a general principle, look at this as well, because if you put all your stocks in a brokerage account and stocks are down 20, 30, 40 percent, and you have to withdraw them, how many years or even decades of tax savings have you wiped out by neglecting the second and often overlooked aspect of asset location? which is to align your asset location with yes, the tax decisions, which a lot of people get that, but also your withdrawal decisions. So just to quickly summarize that, the what should you do? Number one, understand your overall asset allocation first. Number two, understand your withdrawal strategy. So what accounts will be drawn down first. And then number three, align your asset location based upon tax decisions and those withdrawal decisions. Now, a quick list on things not to do, at least in most cases, don't do this. It's hard to say always and definitively, these are rules that you should follow. But in the overwhelming majority of cases, here's some mistakes I commonly see. This isn't comprehensive, but here's, here's maybe three of those. Uh, number one, people owning bonds in their Roth IRAs. And I see a lot of advisors doing this or a lot of people doing this. They'll say, and as I mentioned, this is what we've talked about, is oh, doing this will save you $1,000 a year in taxes or $2,000 per year in taxes. Well, that's significant, but what's the cost of the total after-tax growth of your wealth over time? Many times, it's magnitudes greater than the thousand or couple thousand bucks that you've saved cumulatively over that time. That's the first thing I see people make mistakes on. Number two, the second mistake I see a lot of people make is with regards to muni bonds or municipal bonds. Muni bonds are great if you have high income or high net worth individuals. They're bonds that you don't pay any taxes on the interest for. Now you're accepting a little bit lower return, but that return is tax-free. So someone has high income or someone's high net worth and they say, okay, great. I want 25% of my portfolio in bonds. I'm going to make those muni bonds because I hear those are great for people with high income or high net worths. So what they'll do then is they'll say, okay, that 25% is going into muni bonds. They'll then put 25% in their brokerage account in munis, 25% of their Roth IRAs in munis, 25% of their traditional IRAs in munis. And it just doesn't make sense. Why are we putting a bond that by definition almost is paying less in interest because that interest isn't taxable? Why are we sticking that into an IRA or a Roth IRA? It's already tax free. So if we're going to be doing that, be doing that in your brokerage accounts, not in your IRAs. If you are going to have bonds in your IRAs, well, wouldn't it make sense to get a, a different bond, one that's paying a higher interest rate? An interest rate that is taxable if it weren't in an IRA, but that doesn't concern you because it is in your IRA where it's either tax deferred or tax free. So I see some people doing this. I also, unfortunately, see a lot of investment firms doing this for their clients. And it's just because the investment firms, they don't have good systems in place. They don't have good oversight, whatever it might be. But what they do is they come in, they categorize the client they're working with. They understand their income. They say, okay, instead of regular bonds, we're owning municipal bonds. And then they do this for the client. And I see this far too often when municipal bonds are held in retirement accounts, which makes absolutely no sense. If you're looking at your portfolio that your advisor has you in and there's muni bonds in your IRAs or Roth IRAs, reach out to Root Financial. We can help because that's just something that is not, there's really no excuse for it. You want to make sure you're owning the right assets in the right places. And then number three, the third thing not to do, and this is kind of high level, but don't focus on asset location at the expense of everything else asset allocation. That's the thing that you should really care about. Getting asset allocation right is going to be the difference in significant returns over time. Asset location, depending on the individual and depending on the tax situation, it is certainly impactful, but to a lesser degree typically. So focus on both, but prioritize asset allocation first, prioritize withdrawal decisions first, then work with what you have left over to get the asset location correct. So Jeff, thank you very much for submitting this question. I think it highlights an important place and an important example of how it is possible to get one specific strategy right, but if you're not cognizant of how that impacts other things and really how it impacts the big picture, it could actually be the wrong strategy. So thank you everyone for listening. If you have someone that you think could benefit from this episode, I would really appreciate it if you share this episode with them. Would really appreciate it if you leave a review. For more content like this, check us out on YouTube. The YouTube page is under Root Financial Partners. And there's just more information to make sure that as you're approaching or in retirement, are you doing every last thing you can do to make sure that you're making the most of it? So as always, I appreciate you listening and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ready for Retirement podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let me know by leaving a five-star review. And as always, for a list of the notes and the resources mentioned in today's episode, you can find those at the Ready for Retirement website, which is readyforretirement.co. That's readyforretirement.co. And if you have a question that you would like for me to answer in a future episode, then you can also go to the Ready for Retirement website, readyforretirement.co. And there's a page called Submit Your Question, where you can submit a question for me to answer in a future episode. Thanks, as always, for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hey, everyone, it's me again for the disclaimer please be smart about this. Before doing anything, please be sure to consult with your tax planner or financial planner. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, tax, legal, or other financial advice. It is for informational purposes only.